Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We're your host. I'm JC. We got Brian Edwards. And guess who is in the studio? Nathan has made it back. How you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? He made it back. He's here. (laughs) We missed you, man. Yeah, I miss being here. I kind of got locked up over the weekend and uh, didn't want to have to explain, so I just made up an excuse. (laughs) I hope the dinner was great. (laughs) Food was amazing. JC and I realized the two-legged stool just doesn't work. So if it makes you feel better, you are greatly missed. Well, I miss being here, and I really appreciate you guys giving me a hard time. I know you love me, and uh, hey, I can take it. We're just here to hold you accountable. We appreciate that. <laughs> That's something that we never had growing up, so now we get that good yes. accountability from the brotherhood. I never wanted accountability growing up. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> you rebuke hey. the accountability. Yes, but uh, I need it now, hey, and I know that. Hey, JC, next we'll be downloading that new app on his iPhone where it tracks you wherever you go. We yeah. can say, oh, oh, that's where Nathan is. All right. You have that, don't you? Yes, I do. My wife tracks everywhere I go. That's good. <laughs> Not because she has to, just because she enjoys it. And we keep up with our kids at school, and they can see where we're at, so everybody stops. Does it have me. the speed what you're driving? Like, it, does it do does. That? Life 360, not a not a sponsor, okay. but a great app. Yes, it is a great yeah. app if you want to stalk somebody. True. Yeah, no one agrees to let you it. stalk them. <laughs> I love it. Hey, is it cold up in Danville? Because it's freezing here. It's 20 degrees, and uh, it's it feels colder than that. It's really cold. I love that. I, I just really felt like, oh, it's 25 here. I felt like my mom just then, when we lived out in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I was at, working at a church, she would call and be like, hey, it's it's noon. What time is it there? And I'm like, 8 a.m. You know, I mean, it's, it's only two hours behind, but it's like, hey, it's Thanksgiving. Are y'all <laughs> celebrating the 4th of July? I just felt like I'm just then. <laughs> oh, well. well. I told my wife a, a little bit ago, I said, hey, it's so cold. I saw 10 demons cram into a Volkswagen and turn the heat on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, y'all ready to get this show started? Let's get it started. Let's go. Let's do it. Three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy of Patona Pair Pink Underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast with your hosts, JC, Nathan, and Brian. We are three pastors who are recovering fundamentalists. We have been set free from the chains of legalism, and uh, we've been having this conversation around this topic of legalism in the church for years, and we just wanted to invite you into that conversation. We have been blown away by the response, and uh, we are going to be talking about life, about ministry before during and after this thing called legalism that is prevalent in the church today. Hey, we exist to help and encourage those whose lives have been negatively affected by fundamentalist legalism in the church and to to challenge those who promote tradition over scripture. 
I always struggle with that. Yeah, words are hard. <laughs> words are very hard. But hey, we put a lot of thought into that uh, mission statement. And I just want to read it again because this is important. Yeah. We exist to help and encourage those whose lives have been negatively affected by fundamentalist legalism in the church and to challenge those who promote tradition over scripture. That's it. And and that's the very important thing, Brian and Nate, that, that this isn't whose lives have been negatively affected by independent Baptist or by Southern right. Baptist or by church of Christ or free will Baptist or church of God. It's the legalism that is found in those denominations. Cause Brian said something yeah. last podcast, Nate, you weren't here uh, in the last episode. Appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> but he, he, he talked about, and it's very true. Yes, we are, we are honing in, if you will, on IFB, uh, but it, it really is prevalent in all these other denominations. And we're really talking about this thing called legalism. Hit on that, Brian. Uh, yeah, you know, I think, you know, something like legalism is almost like a contagion. It spreads. And you see uh, one man exercise authority over people and how those people bow down to his authority and how he receives the worship that is connected to that. It becomes the center focus of that. And uh, let's just be honest, authority can be intoxicating. And so a man gets a hold of that authority, and in the end, he's he's absolutely corrupted by it, and yet people are submissive to it because of the fear of, if I speak against the man of God, then I'm going to be corrected by God, or I'm going to be assaulted by God. Yeah, and it really comes down to this one word, Brian, control. Hmm. People yes. love control. It doesn't matter if you own a business. doesn't matter if you work at the grocery store as a bag boy. We want to gain control. We want to gain power. And it's intoxicating, like you said. And so just because we're Christians and just because we're pastors and in the church doesn't mean we're immune to that. It might mean that it's intensified a little bit more. And I think we see that, especially here lately, there, there seems to be a big draw where uh, ladies are stepping up and calling out these guys that have had that control and that power and that complex where they're the God complex in a way. And we're seeing over and over and over again, it seems here lately, where where these guys that thought they were invincible in certain ways, their sins, I mean, hello, it says, be sure your sins will find you yeah. out. It's starting to come out in, in certain ways. Well, you know, we've heard, heard it said that, you know, Lucifer meant light bearer, and some have believed, you know, that meant worship leader, as if, you know, Lucifer somehow led the angels in the worship of God. And, you know, just to use that and, and to think about this, it's a really dangerous place to stand in the place of worship between you and God. And we can become porous to that when we should become deflective. And so actually the very thing that led Satan to believe he could overthrow God was that desire to be worshiped, that desire for the power that only belongs to God. That's a really dangerous thing. It is. Yeah, it is. And I said this Sunday in my sermon that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the one who has the control. Anytime a man tries to replace that, that is the most demonic, uh, satanic thing we can do is to try to mm. wrestle the control of God's church away from him. Jesus is the head of his church. It's true. And this podcast, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're wanting to do. I mean, we're wanting to help folks that are stuck in that, that see no hope to get out of that. Yeah. Uh, that we want to encourage people who we've been having conversations. We're getting ready to read a story from a man named Chad. And, and so many of us have been having conversations with folks that once they leave the legalism that in, like just entrap them, 
they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to act. Um, and then we want to challenge those guys, you know, those guys that are, they have that God complex. They have the, this church is my church, not it's God. Mm. Right. I frequently say to the, uh, to the family of hope church, you know, Jesus said, if my people, which are called by my name, uh, anyone called by my name, the name of Brian Edwards, well, they're in serious trouble and they're not our people. You know, the people belong to Jesus. I say frequently, you know, the church is the bride of Christ and we're only caring for the bride of another man, which is a dangerous thing to think about that often we commit spiritual adultery with the bride of Christ, mm. which is a really deep thought. You know, she belongs completely and entirely to Jesus and he is the center focus of her worship and he gets the praise and the honor and the glory and the preeminence from her. And if a pastor does his job well, people don't love us more. They love Jesus more. Brian, I just this may just be me, but you just really don't sound like a compromising liberal. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was that was very theologically stout. That was awesome. We well, I've been called a liberal. <laughs> yeah, I've been called a liberal, but I'm not. We're excited to hear Brian's story today of some of those things that uh, he's been called. Before we jump into that, I want to read to you a story that's really similar to yours, but completely different. We got this uh, on our uh, hotline, if you will, the RFP hotline that you can call in. We'll have that number for you at the end of the episode today. But this is from a man by the name of Chad, and he said, I grew up in an IFB Ruckmanite church. I went to an IFB college. I worked IFB churches and planted and pastored an IFB church. Uh, we were rock-ribbed KJV only. Six years, though, mm. into the pastorate of the church I planted, God began to change my heart. Our church was not go- growing, even after trying every fundy gimme uh, that I had been taught. I was tired. I was burnt out from keeping all the rules and then not working to grow our church. And in my brokenness, I began to pray and ask God why. And through that journey, I made some commitments to the Lord, one of which being to stop preaching topical sermons and begin preaching verse by verse. He said, this began a two-year journey through the book of Romans where God really rocked my world. He said, I was challenged and changed. I went from a one, two, three, pray after me, easy believest, to my liberty grew. Romans 14 opened my eyes to a new world. I learned I didn't have to keep all the man-made rules to please God. The problem was I was a pastor of a church where I no longer fit. Man, what a line right there. Yeah, I was a pastor of a church where I no longer fit. And this led me to leave the church we planted and love for a new ministry. We now have pastored that new church for a year, and it has been refreshing to have a, the burden of legalism lifted. We're surrounded by churches in the IFB realm that have been hurt by scandal after scandal, so the Lord has been leading a lot of recovering fundamentalists to us. Thanks for your podcast. It will serve as another tool to show people what biblical Christianity really is and isn't. And it will help to heal the hurting and the broken and frankly help me in working out the battling, the legalism that I wore within my own soul daily. That is Powerful. I love how he said it. And and by the way, thank you, Chad, for sharing that with us. That's incredible. I would love to hear more of Chad's story. That is that sounds so familiar. And like you said, we're going to hear Brian's story. So we're going to hear more of that. But Chad, thank you for sharing that. I love how you say you left the gimmicks 
of the IFB Fundy World behind, and you began just teaching through Scripture verse by verse. Yeah. Guys, I want to pray for Chad right now. Will y'all, yeah. will y'all join Be me great. in that? Father, that. we love you. God, we thank you so much for Chad, for his story, for the fact that you're not done with him, uh, that you have an incredible plan and a future uh, to use him to help so many people uh, that he has planted this new ministry and is working in that. And God, we just pray that you will give him a peace that passes all understanding, uh, that you will be the loudest voice that he hears mm. as you prepare a table before him in the presence of his enemies, God, that you will just continue to lead him and guide him and direct him as he is taking those steps of recovering and becoming all that you have called him to be. God, thank you for his story. Yeah. And we pray that the best days are yet to come Amen. for this man yeah. and his ministry. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, JC, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's the first prayer that we've prayed live on the air. I know we have prayed a lot yeah. over this podcast and we've prayed a lot together and prayed for people in the stories, but that's the first time we've prayed on the podcast, right? I think so. So you're not a liberal either. You believe in prayer. (laughs) That's two for two. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Now we just got to prove that Nate's not. He's here tonight, so that's a good thing. (laughs) I showed up. Hey, that's half the battle. I love it. Well, let's get into Brian's story tonight. We have been sharing in these first three episodes that uh, Brian talked about this at our Christmas Eve episode. There, there's power in a story. And uh, I believe for so many of you that listened uh, to our first episode where Nate shared his story, um, thank you for your vulnerability and transparency to to share that story, Nate. And it's helped so many people. And uh, we're excited to hear Brian. Brian has a few more years on me and Nate. And Incredible experience, experience, (laughs) and just wisdom. And we're just going to sit here and glean from the fire hydrant that is Brian Edwards as he just shares what God has done in his life and where where he's using you today. Hey, Brian? Yes. After this is over, will you sign my Bible? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we got to talk about that for a second. Brian tweeted. Hey, Brian, read the tweet. I I don't have my Twitter open. Do you have it right there? No, but I think I can tell you something close. If, oh, you know, Nathan Stuchuk, he's actually, actually just dropped his phone trying to, you know, look the tweet <laughs> this up. This is incredible. It said something like, you know, why do men sign Bibles? They didn't author a single chapter. And then it goes on to say uh, it's the equivalent of the mail carrier signing his name on someone else's letter. And I had no idea that that tweet was going to blow up. I had no idea that people felt so personally about <laughs> signatures in their Bibles. You went viral, man. Yeah, Let me you ask know, you a question, just so we can see who's the most legalistic in here. How many names did you have in your Bible? I had multiple pastors' signatures in my Bible. I had, all my Bibles. I had John R. Rice. I had Lester wow. Roloff. I had uh, Charles. Sturgill, that's my papa. Um, <laughs> the last, get this, I don't know if I've even told you guys this, the last year and a half, two years that Lee Robertson was alive, I worked at Tennessee Temple, and I on Tuesdays cool. and Thursdays, I would pick Lee Robertson up and take him to the school, take him to get his hair cut and all that. So he signed like three Schofield Bibles for me. It that was is great. awesome. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest, since we're transparent and, and on, on this podcast, uh, it was a it was a thing of pride to have signatures in your Bible. 
You know, oh, I yeah, actually I have... faked some signatures in my Bible to make it look like I was, hey. I was like, look at this. Look at this guy right here. Uh, I have hey, no Lip idea who those names were. I just scribbled. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. Uh, that's almost as bad as a God told me a little while back. He said, hey, I need to confess something. They used to send us out into these neighborhoods to, to win people to Christ for bus ministry. And if we won enough people to Christ, we would get a prize. And if we want enough people, the day wouldn't last as long. He said, you can't believe how often we lied about leading people to Christ. And so oh, they actually yeah. had this piece of paper they were supposed to fill out. And he said they would make up names. And then as they were making up names, another person would say, hey, use that name last week. You can't use that oh, again. And so, so <laughs> that's worse than you faking. You're forging another pastor's name just so you can say his names in your Bible. That's sad. I used to sit at Southwide at Tennessee Temple University where all these guys would come in and preach. And I would look through the list of guys that were preaching and I'd get different friends that were sitting there on the roads. I'd pass my Bible down the road and say, sign this name. And they would just sign it. My Bible was covered with signatures. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, thank God. Well, I, I am free, free, free. <laughs> well, I have Sammy Allen's signature in a Bible somewhere. Yes, amen. And Maze Jackson and Billy Kelly and... Uh, all those great Phil camp King. meeting preachers, man. Uh, you know, we were never around Phil Kidd, praise the Lord, but um, well, I never had him one. sign anything. I need to get Brian Edwards in mind. Me too. <laughs> hey, Brian hey, Edwards. Will you forge his Bible. name in my Bible? Yes, you got it. We're going to sell it. <laughs> JC <laughs> will. He's 9,000 download. <laughs> You're going to get a Bible with Brian Edwards' signature. Brian, share your story, man. Let's hear it. How did, how did God rescue you from legalism, go back to the beginning, and uh, just share your story with us. Well, you know, um, I've been thinking about it. You know, as an Edwards, we are notorious storytellers. Uh, we, as a matter of fact, grew up, you know, we were really poor, and uh, we didn't have a lot of, um, we didn't have a lot of entertainment. And so storytelling with the family and listening to my pop and others tell stories, that became a really important part of life. And so I've always considered myself a storyteller, and yet, when it comes to telling this story, it's really difficult because, you know, it's, it's my life. And uh, how do you tell the story of something that is absolutely ordinary? I mean, think about it. Most of the time, a story is great. You know, it's, it's like, you know, we were, we were at the bottom of the Niagara Falls and the mist was cascading over our bodies as we were, you know, just completely drenched in the waters of Niagara Falls and people are on the edge of their seat. Well, I was an independent fundamental Baptist because I was born. It was like being born a male. It was like being the son of Craig and Linda Edwards. I was literally born into uh, independent Baptist fundamentalism. No one ever asked me if I wanted to be an independent Baptist. Uh, no one ever asked me if I, if I wanted to be a part of those revival meetings, if I wanted to be a part of those church services. Uh, that's just simply, it was life for me, uh, JC. It was absolutely ordinary. As a matter of fact, I didn't know anything different. You know, we woke up. Uh, almost every day we were around the church. Um, my dad was a, a prominent evangelist. I think a lot of people would recognize the name Craig Edwards. Uh, my dad has always been a great Bible preacher, but in all of the traveling around, that's where I think we encountered a lot of the nonsense um, and a lot of the things that I guess uh, really scarred me most deeply from my days in fundamentalism. But, you know, from the time I was little, we were in that. It was normal for me. As a matter of fact, when I was two years old, uh, Mace Jackson used to stand me up and up on the pulpit and he would hold me and he would call me his little buddy, Brian. And, uh, you know, we were going to get under the spout where the glory came out. Uh, but brother Mace hey, would man. call me up 
and uh, stand me on the pulpit, and he would get me to sing songs. And by the way, one of the worst whippings I ever got uh, as a kid was because of Mace Jackson inviting me up on the platform to sing. It's a great story. But he, I was out in the audience, and he's, he looked out, and he said, it's great to have my buddy Brian here tonight, and Brian's going to come up, and he's going to sing something for us. Brian, run on up here and sing a song. And so I ran up on the platform, and I went past Brother Mays, and I backed all the way against the choir rail, took off running as fast as I could, sailed off the end of the platform, and as I did, I said, my name's not Brian, I'm Batman. Started doing the theme. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, man, my backside paid for that. When my dad got finished, I had two cracks. Uh, that was that was, that was a bad We're decision. We're a liberal. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you know, growing up in that was absolutely ordinary for me. And so I don't, really don't know how to exactly tell the story of my childhood other than to say this. You know, I've heard some who are sending in their stories, and I appreciate those stories, but they share the story of, you know, being in an independent Baptist church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then attending some of the meetings and some of the youth camps. And, um, you know, sometimes I think that unless you grew up like we did, Nathan, especially, uh, you know, my dad preached 50 weeks a year in 25, 26 different states. And it was every night of the week. And so church was a constant in my life. You know, there were meetings that we attended, and guys, you won't believe this. And, and by the way, you can chime in after I, I tell you, I added up how many sermons I heard in a single week sometimes, and I've heard as many as like 40 sermons in a week at some of those camp meetings. Uh, what, what's your record? Me too, and I've counted, and I'm right up there with you at 40, uh, 30 to 40. Uh, I, I think probably more like 25, 30. Oh, but yeah. we were singing at all of those. Back in the day, man, they would have three preachers yeah. after breakfast, three preachers after lunch, and you get like an hour and a half to take a nap, and then they'd have three more preachers at night. Right, and that was I'd back be up in the, the balcony learning. What now, JC? I'd be up in the balcony learning stand-up comedy and not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that was back in the days, too, when you had to sit perfectly still. And, uh, mom, right. you know, moms had that perfect pinch. They pinched you just hard enough that you didn't scream, but just hard enough to where you knew you were in big trouble. Yeah, my mom just had to clear her throat. She did this hacking thing, and I was like, oh, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, when they said you're going to get it when you get home, they meant it. But, you know, we were in those revivals all the time. And, um, you know, we, we encountered so much during that time. And, and for me, there was so much confusion. Because think about this, and you really have to think about this even to, to share it. I only heard the sermons that were the Sunday best. You know, the sermon that the guy wanted to take on the road, you know, he could preach yeah. that sermon and other guys would invite him to come and preach a revival. And so I literally heard everybody's sales pitch sermons. And I wasn't growing spiritually at all. I knew very little about the Bible. Uh, I learned as a young kid to check out. And so, you know, I would be sitting in a pew. Someone would would be screaming my face off. And I could be totally, completely in another world. And, you know, I wasn't growing spiritually. No one ever talked to me about that. As a matter of fact, one of the key things that, that really confused me growing up 
was the fact that I really didn't understand sin. Uh, sin for me was making my dad look bad because almost always I received correction for something I'd done that made him look bad. I mean, think about it. You know, you're sitting through hours of sermons and services. Sometimes as a kid, you can't help but get anxious. But that wasn't acceptable for the uh, the evangelist kid. And then, you know, someone was always telling my dad something I'd done. And so for me, sin was my dad's not happy. And so that became a matter of performance. I didn't even understand that sin was against God. Sin for me was anything that made my dad look bad. Think about that confusion. And so I was literally performing for him and for the people. And JC, you talked about singing a little while ago. You know, I was brought up singing my entire life and have done that my entire life. And because of that, you know, think about it. Um, that only that only brought me into the ministry. You know, for example, I was in the ministry not because I was right with God, not because I was saved, not because I wanted to serve Jesus. I was brought into the ministry simply on the basis I could sing. And, you know, it's so confusing because as a teenager, you know, I went through a really rebellious season because it didn't take me long in this performance-based religious circle or sphere that I was in to learn that all the preacher's kids weren't who their parents thought they were. And, you know, there were so many conversations happening and, 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 you know, so many things that were happening, even at camp meetings and some of the things I've heard at those meetings, it was literally mind blowing. And that only fed the sin nature in me. You know, I can be my own person. I don't have to believe what my dad believes. I don't have to believe what my mom believes. And so as a teenager, I really started rebelling. And I mean, rebelling seriously. Um, you know, I got in trouble at, at every school I went to. I had to leave so many schools because of getting in trouble. You know, things like, you know, one high school I was sent to, uh, I skipped literally 18 days in a row. That was in the first month. <laughs> and then I would go to another school and, and you know, I would be asked to leave that school or forced to leave that school. And then, by the way, I was a master at getting kicked out at youth camps. I hated youth camp <laughs> because I, I believe it's a sin to have to bathe or use the bathroom in front of anybody. I have public restroom syndrome. And uh, so they would send me to camp. And because of my anxiety, you know, I just wanted to get kicked out. So I would have to do anything I had to do to get kicked out. And then, you know, there was one camp where they wouldn't kick me out. And uh, they would just keep taking me in this little room and they would give me my own personal preacher. And so I was sitting in this chair and this guy would literally scream at me and tell me I was, you know, not right with God and I was going to hell. And I was just saying the whole time, let me go home. Please let me go home. Call my parents. Let me go home. And so finally, this is really bad, but there was a really older man who was helping at that camp. And uh, one night I stayed awake until everybody was asleep. It was probably three in the morning. And I actually snuck out and got the water hose, pulled it into the window, snuck back into the dorm and just started drenching that man with water uh, because they weren't going to let me <laughs> go home. You know, I just wanted to go home, but um, I paid for that one too. That was, that would be my third, <laughs> that'd be my third crack. But, um, <laughs> you know, I didn't understand sin, the idea of it being against God. It was disappointing my dad. So think about how confusing this was. I was rebelling like crazy. I had no relationship with God. There was no spiritual growth in my life. For me, 
those revivals in so many ways represented an annoyance. And, you know, the ones I enjoyed were the ones where I had some friends. And as soon as the revival meeting would be over, at least I could hang out or talk to my friends. And yet, think about it. I'm on the platform singing while people are shouting. People are telling me that God's touch is on my life. People are telling me I'm going to be a preacher, that I'm going to follow in my dad's footsteps. So think about how confusing it is to know that you have no relationship with God, that you don't pray, that you don't desire God's word, that none of the, uh, I guess, the spiritual characteristics and attributes are existent in your life, and yet people are constantly telling you God's touch is on your life. Hmm. That was so confusing. I can't even begin to explain it. And, you know, I, I just I just don't know if anyone outside of this movement would understand. There's a reason why there are the constant reconversions. You know, because I would, I would sit through services as that teenager who was not right with God. And they would preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, you know, they'd make it seem as if he were returning at that very moment. Or, you know, they would, you know, scream about hell and about how you were going to spend eternity in hell. And I remember one sermon, you know, when your maggot infested body is screaming in hell with all the other people who are screaming. And so I would be in the seat, literally praying, Jesus, please save me. I don't want to go to hell. Please save me. Please, please save me. I don't want to go to hell. Mm. And then I would be called up to sing the closing song and people would be, you know, praising God. Or, you know, man, the Holy Ghost would really move and the big preacher would show up, you know. And and so I really didn't have a real concept of sin. And so this is what I can say. My dad is a great preacher. He's a great man. You know, he was, he and I have talked so much about this and we're best friends. We talk every day over and over and over again. But, you know, he was discipled in that movement also. He had no Christian background at all. And so my dad was only walking in the light that he had. And as, a, as an evangelist, there was that fear of rejection. There was that fear of, what if my revival meetings dry up? And so I was the recipient of the pressure of that. And so JC, Nathan, this is true in my life, and I've heard both of your testimonies. It became true in your life. I was an incredible imposter. Mm. I knew how... I knew how to curse. Well, I'll just say it plainly, cuss like a sailor when I was around the right people. I knew how to be in the crowd. They were drinking and I knew how to exist in that crowd. I knew how, um, you know, to, to talk about my lustful ambitions and, and all of that. And yet I knew how to walk into the revival meeting and suddenly be Brian Edwards, Craig Edwards' son, who puts on a suit who stands up and sings, who closes my eyes on the big part of the song, and every now and then, just to get the crowd going, I raise my hand occasionally. But I had no personal testimony of a redemptive work of Jesus Christ in my life, and I was one confused young man. And so that, that's kind of life you know, growing up for me. Another thing that was really bad for me is being the evangelist's son, I encountered all the pastors behind the scenes and the evangelists behind the scenes. 
And um, that really created a disrespect in me for a lot of those men. Now, there were some of them who were incredible men, and they loved Jesus, and their testimony was rock solid. And uh, I believe their heart was fully devoted to Christ. And yet, there was a lot of conversation that was had around tables where a young man was listening, and it was really confusing for me. And, and you know, when you, when you combine born into the independent Baptist movement, I was 30 years old before I heard a sermon that wasn't independent Baptist. And, you know, growing up completely in that movement, isolated in that movement, no outside information at all, confined in that box. In ministry, from the time I was, I think we did our first recording when I was about five years old singing, being the buddy of all the pastors and evangelists and hanging out with them, and then growing up, no relationship with Jesus, and yet continuing to be in ministry. It was confusing. Does that resonate with either one of you? Yeah, it really does. I I read a quote uh, earlier this week. It was actually a blog post from a a guy by the name of Matthew Turner. And and something that you said really kind of sparked. You said, I was born into this. And I got to thinking about that. You know, that's surprising to many of us is that recovering from legalism is not a simple journey. It's healing is, is far more complex path than what most of us anticipate. He said, I think that's because legalism affects the deepest part of who we are. It's our souls. It infects our spiritual selves. That involves the core of our being, everything from what we believe to be true about the world and about God to how uh, we pursue relationships with others. Brian, you, you talked about faking it. You know, I mean, you were two different people, you know, yes. kind of the, the ebony and ivory. You were one way at church and then you were another way away from church. You learned how to do that because I believe what, it, what that is ultimately, Nathan, is that legalism, it, it becomes a lifestyle to us. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we realize that, but it's not, it, it, it's not a creed that we memorize or just a good thing gone wrong. It really is who we are. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it, I think that's really true. Legalism is who we were. Yes. Yeah. It definitely becomes a part of us and it just becomes the norm. Yeah. Well, you know, I was brought up. So Brian, I'm, so excuse me, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was brought up, you know, hearing, you know, I'm independent Baptist born and independent Baptist bred. And when I die, I'll be independent Baptist dead. And so, yes, that's exactly who I was, and that was my greatest ambition. That's who I that's who I was going to be, because after all, let's just be honest, those men of the past are heralded as the great heroes, and to right. fall short of living up to them and what they accomplished and what they believe, to depart from that at all, you know, was basically the abomination of desolation. I'm sorry, Nathan, I interrupted. What were you going to say? No, I, I uh, that that was real important. But I also was was thinking that how much of what we all experienced growing up would cross over into brainwashing? Hmm. Because uh, I'm thankful for the teaching, the good preaching that I heard, the Word of God, memorization. I'm thankful for all those things. But how much of those camp meetings and revivals? We're running down all the other denominations and all the other preachers. I've heard so many stories told yeah. about other denominations, other preachers making fun of them, making fun of how they raised their hand, how anything that was different. And so I was brainwashed to think that we're the you know, only way. Yeah, we're the only ones. And if we 
if I walk away from this, I'm walking away from God. Because and nobody is, else preaches this truth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, they can't. They don't have the right Bible. How can you preach the truth when you don't have the right Bible? Um, yeah, if you can uh, monopolize that, then you've got everything, right? Absolutely. And you know, <laughs> we were preaching our second book of the opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I was listening to a clip recently on uh, on Twitter, as a matter of fact, and I heard this guy saying, you know, I, I believe the King James Bible is, you know, it's the only word of God. And then he never preached it. I'm like, you know, if you believe it, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and at least preach it? But, you know, I think, you know, that confusion kind of came to a head in my life because, you know, so much of what we grew up in was based on emotionalism. I mean, let's just be honest, it was. And, and so for me, you know, there was so much that I was clinging to. I can remember this. I know it sounds so silly, and I hope our listeners, at least some of them, will identify with this. But I can remember thinking and saying even in my own mind, I have to be saved. I think I cried tonight. Or I have to be saved. I got chill bumps when they were shouting. I have to be saved. You know, I was emotionally moved. I was clinging to all of those things. And, and yet, you know, God in grace saved me. I'm so thankful for, you know, the day that the gospel of Jesus Christ became real to me and nothing in my life changed until the gospel became real to me. My mom and dad's faith was not enough. Uh, the, The faith of the church was not enough. The faith of the youth group was not enough, but I experienced the power of the gospel is the power of God to salvation for myself personally. When that happened, Everything in my life changed. And so, you know, I could wrap up the end part of my story, I guess, pretty quickly. I don't want to keep everybody forever just hearing, you know, the life and times of Brian Edwards. But, uh, you know, this is what I can say. Uh, Once the gospel became real to me, it it was obvious that God was going to call me into ministry. I didn't want to be in ministry. I wanted to have no part of that. As a matter of fact, that, that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And yet it was, it was just obvious that Jesus was not going to let me go. I couldn't even read the Bible without, you know, seeing sermons and, uh, and I, it's all I could think about. And, and yet after all of my, my Jonah running, you know, how many of you know, you can't run from Jesus. He, he's, you can't run from the one who's everywhere. And, uh, and so he, yeah. he captivated my heart and he called me to preach. And so I just started preaching all I knew. A little while back, I think this was a pretty good way to describe this. I was asked to write a um, an article for our statewide uh, magazine. And the best way I knew to describe what my preaching was like, I was a phonograph. You remember the old phonograph? You know, it would record whatever was put into it and then only play. What would come out was only what was put in. And um, I was just a phonograph. I, I didn't own the message that I was preaching. I'm not even really sure, and this sounds strange, but I'm not even sure I believed a lot of what I was preaching. It didn't come from the Bible, and yet I preached it. And um, and so I think I was just convinced of it. And there was this moment in my life, and it was, it was really a turning point in my life. This was the moment I started moving toward an exodus from fundamentalism. I had always been told so much what to think about the Bible that I had never thought about the Bible. I just never thought about it. The Bible didn't shape my doctrine. My doctrinal view shaped my view of the Bible. And so I'd never really thought about, you know, what does God's word really teach? 
Why do I believe what I believe? And so I literally started reading through the Gospels. And man, God rocked my world. And then I started reading through the church epistles in a different light. And just so much truth became so clear to me. And I felt so convicted about what I had preached and what I hadn't preached. And I felt so convicted that I didn't have answers for what I really believed. And so that led me to uh, stand up one day in front of 500 people and repent. I repented and I told them, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times that I haven't been faithful to God's word. And I'm sorry that I haven't preached God's word in the way that I should. And so from this point on, I don't know exactly where this journey is going to lead, but I want to be a biblical pastor and a part of a biblical church. And for that, I was abandoned by all of the men that I thought were my friends. All of my revival meetings that I was preaching all across the country were canceled. And yet it was the first time that I really owned my faith, that I really owned my belief in God's word. And and here's the odd thing to me. And guys, think about this. When I was preaching those revivals, do you know not a single pastor ever asked me, have you fasted and prayed over this meeting? Have you studied? Are you bringing anything fresh from God's word? No one ever asked me anything like that. No one asked me, are you looking at pornography? Are you right with God? What's your marriage like right now? I mean, if you're going to be preaching a revival, where is your relationship with Jesus? No one ever asked me any of those questions. But you know what they asked me? What Bible translation I was going to be preaching from? You know, it was expected that I wear a suit. Um, you know, everything was shallow. They, As a matter of fact, I was asked more often where I like to eat and if the hotel room was okay than I was if I'd even prayed at all or if I was even right with God at all. And so for the first time in my life, you know, think about it. I was a product of the transformational power of the gospel. I was in possession of God's word, searching God's word and being searched by God's word. God's word was speaking to me in a way that it never had before. I was owning the message that I was preaching. And it was for that, that I was rejected and ostracized. And yet you can't unsee truth. Yeah. Brian, how much courage did it take to basically abandon everything that you knew and to walk away? You and I've talked about this a lot, but I'm not sure everybody understands how much courage it took for you to take the stand you did on God's word as being your final, uh, final, uh, authority standard and faith and practice. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it actually, at first, it didn't take courage because initially I thought everybody was going to be as excited as I was. Like I literally started calling pastors up and I, I, I would say, you know, look at this passage. You know, what about this passage in James that is actually seductive if you prefer people on the basis of their dress? And the word seductive there actually means demonic. I mean, when you look up that word, that's what it means. And so, hey, how awesome is it that Jesus Christ was homeless and the common people received him gladly because he looked like a common person. He dressed like a common person and and that we've been preferring people on the basis of their dress. And, you know, I mean, think about it. I would go suit shopping because I had to have the right suit for the revival meeting. And, and I wasn't even taking good care of my wife financially or of my home financially. And, and I didn't think that was a sin. I didn't think that was wrong. 
And so I thought guys would be thrilled when I started showing them all of the things that God was showing me. I didn't know that that was going to become, you know, I guess the nail in my coffin in the fundamentalist world. So it really didn't require courage until people started walking away. And I'll never forget the day my dad called me, Nathan. This is when it was an important conversation. My dad called me and he said, Brian, you're just going too far. If you will just come back a little bit, these guys would be glad to welcome you back. And I'm sure they'll have you in revivals again. And I'll never forget the day I said this to my dad. I said, dad, I can't come back. It's a matter of conviction. I'm actually practicing God's word. I'm being changed by God's word. This is conviction. That's powerful. Brian, I know a lot of our listeners uh, are going to really resonate with your story because there's a lot of people. I know us three and so many have been rejected by the brethren, shunned, excommunicated, whatever you want to call it. What encouragement would you give to that pastor, to that pastor's wife, to that missionary, to that church attender, to that Sunday school teacher, that, that, that lay person who is listening right now to your story, who is resonating with it because there has been just a disconnect. They're cut off because they're realizing the legalistic mindset is, is so just, it, it's, a, it's like a cancer and it's just killing. And they've, they've lost friends, they've lost family, uh, their, their church, they're, they just, they're, they're in that limbo of what is right, where do I go, what's the next step? What encouragement would you give them Right. Uh, first of all, I tell them to realize um, what I had to realize. I'm not going to stand before anybody other than God and give an account. Yeah. And so when That's I reach good. eternity, uh, someone else patting me on the back is not going to mean anything. Well done, thou good and faithful servant from Jesus. That's ultimately all that matters. And so I would tell them uh, literally uh, learn what it is to appreciate the favor of Jesus Christ and their identity in Jesus Christ rather than their identity in a denomination. And so for the first time in my life, when I made that exodus from fundamentalism, it was the first time in my life, JC, that I wasn't an independent fundamental Baptist. The ordinary in my life had been broken. What I was born into had been broken. And literally all I had was the conviction that I was pursuing the heart of Jesus Christ, that I was pursuing being biblically accurate and honoring to God. And that became the very fuel that just drove me forward, even in the face of all the fears that I had. Well, Brian, I, I uh, admire you and respect you because you and I walked the same road and we, we had passed at different places, different meetings, but we really didn't know each other. We knew of each other. But uh, having the opportunity to meet you seven or eight years ago, however long that was, uh, seems like I've known you my whole life. But having the opportunity to meet you and and you uh, helping me to plan a church and us working together. And uh, you, you skipped through part of your story. Obviously, we have time constraints on the episodes, but you, you had already planted a church and you were in the middle of a church plant, had a, you know, very thriving fundamentalist church. And that is where God encountered you. And it, it cost you friends. It cost you meetings. It cost you church attenders. But I believe you could say with Job that God has given back more than you ever lost because God has blessed you. He's blessed your ministry. And I watched a, a live feed the other night of, uh, 
the concert, the praise night that you had with multiple Hope Churches there worshiping yeah, together awesome. and just praising God and bragging on him for everything he had done. And Brian, I'm just, as a friend, I'm proud of you and proud of you for taking that stand. And you never take a stand for God. Uh, and, and it's not really a sacrifice when you look at it because you get back more than you ever give up. And I'm so thankful for the stand you took because it oh, affected thank you my so life. Much. Yeah. Having, having 300 church people walk away over the course of about four years was difficult. And yet it's amazing how God replenished, added and multiplied to that. And uh, I've never regretted for a moment, you know, walking away from fundamentalism and from legalism. I've been called the man who ruined my dad's life and ministry. And yet my dad, uh, yeah, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother yeah, my story. My dad hugged it? me the other day, though, and kissed me on the cheek. And he said, I wouldn't go back if I could. Because, you know, freedom is a mm-hmm. beautiful thing. And I would just encourage people, mm-hmm. don't be held prisoner in the jail cell of religion. Jesus Christ has more for you than that. And I'm glad to be living in the more <laughs> rather than in the minus. Wow, that's incredible. And man, I, I really hope one day we get to hear your dad's story, whether he tells it or whether you get to uh, share and kind of pick up where you left off, because it really is a whole nother story. Because in the beginning, you and your dad were you yes. know, arguing and back and forth, and you had the opportunity. You, you your, your dad is pastoring a Hope Church now that <laughs> you guys helped plant. And man, such an awesome story and a story that God gets the glory out of. So I, I look forward to being able to share that with our listeners. That's awesome. I, I hear that story. And, you know, just knowing this, God is always yes. at work and it's behind the scenes at times, even in the middle of, of circumstances that we're, we're in, he's always yes. working, yeah. doing things we are completely unaware of, but one day we will benefit from. And I believe listening to your story, you know, as you're trusting the process of stepping in faith, knowing what he's calling you to do, that you didn't let the circumstance cloud your view of who he said Amen. you are. And you're his son, and God has called you to be used of him. And, man, your story is powerful, and it's going to help a lot of people. Thanks for sharing that today with us, man. I'm excited. Hey, we want to hear your story. Uh, We know that Nathan and Brian and myself, uh, we we have our own stories of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God bringing us out from legalism. But we would love to hear from you. And uh, we have a hotline that's set up, and uh, you could call that hotline, leave your story. story on there. You can shoot us an email. Uh, You can uh, text us. You can send via snail mail. Go to the note on a leg. That's it. Go to the recovering fundamentalist.org. You'll find our PO box on there and all the different ways that you can communicate with us. And we would love to hear your story. And uh, thank you to the hundreds of people that have reached out and uh, shared your story. And uh, we want you to know that his story is living out through your story Amen. to tell many people how good and great he is. Amen. It's awesome. Hey, thanks. thanks, guys. It's been a good episode. I love it. Hey, we'll see you back here next time on the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast.